tonight we have an incredible special guest um, speaker, preacher, uh, Brittany Melton, Dr. Brittany Melton. Uh, she's here all the time, especially before COVID. Um, but she also, some of you need to know this, that she serves as an elder in our church. And um, so she is, is someone who uh, we have said, hey, this woman has authority in our church to speak in a way on behalf of our church. Um, her and her husband, uh, Drew, and their two uh, children, uh, Owen and Afton, moved here from Cambridge just a few years ago. Um, Drew was getting his master's there. Brittany was getting her PhD in Old Testament. And now she teaches here at PBA. And she sits in our church and has to listen to Drew and I and others preach out of the Old Testament sometimes. And it's hard for her not to correct us. You know, she does it kindly afterwards. But, um, no, we are so grateful uh, for Brittany. If you know her, if you've been in her house, you know that she and, and Drew together have created this space of hospitality. It's not uncommon for people to be at their house with their two kids till one o'clock in the morning. That's a normal night at the Melton's house. Um, and their heart for justice, their heart uh, for the vulnerable, their heart uh, for, for people is so evident. In fact, um, they are in the process right now of, of working through adoption, trying to adopt, and they have a fundraiser online on Facebook. If you go to Brittany Melton's Facebook page, you can find that they have a fundraiser there where they're selling jewelry and things like that. Um, but more than anything, I'm just grateful for Brittany's presence in my life as a friend. Whenever she's in here teaching class and I'm in this office over here like doing a meeting or something, she just peeks in, gives me a wave, lets me know that she's here. And, um, and I'm just grateful though for her um, and I'm grateful for what she's going to share with us tonight. So could you please give Dr. Brittany Melton a warm welcome as she comes to So uh, my thought here was that uh, actually I was just doing a bit of reading in my office 
And Keith is kind of like, just let me know when you're going to preach. And I'm like, never, like, <laughs> I don't, whenever I have to. Um, but uh, we're sitting there reading um, some work of Ellen Davis's on Proverbs 31 and very much just was like, oh, like, this is embodied wisdom. Like, that's helpful. So some form of embodied woman wisdom, um, but I don't want us to get off track there and think that I'm only speaking to half the people in this room. Um, or you could simply just say this sermon is embodied wisdom. Um, so let's jump in. Uh, so Ellen Davis that I've just mentioned is one of my favorite Old Testament scholars. One of her more recent books, Scripture, Culture, and Agriculture, gives a sense of the heart of her work. So especially the ecological concerns therein. A short piece that she has written entitled The Moral Vision of the Land uh, in that she speaks about formative influences in her life. So she kind of just jumps all over the place in a more casual um, space to say, like, here are all the things in my life that have brought me to care about these things uh, whenever she is speaking. Uh, so here she lists uh, things like worshiping regularly with nuns, uh, new agrarian writers like her friend Wendell Berry that you've probably heard of, among other things. But as a result of these influences, Davis reads Proverbs 31 much differently than any sermon I ever heard growing up. Um, so thanks to many people in this room who have said, oh, I got really nervous when I got the email about this week when it said Proverbs 31. So I'm with you and I hear you. I think it'd be great if we spent some space unpacking that sometime. Um, but really, I just want to set that aside for a moment and just hear it afresh. And I have some images that might be helpful for us. Um, but as a result um, of those influences, she then is um, kind of reframing, uh, particularly verses 10 to 31 here. She dubs them the poem of the valorous woman. Uh, committing, uh, and then she comments, so she's re recast the kind of heading for this section, if you will, from this chapter. And then she comments, uh, that she, meaning woman wisdom, um, which was part of, uh, definitely there were uh, biblical echoes running all throughout um, whoever wrote that amazing confession. Um, but here, woman wisdom, um, she most certainly is not to be treated as, quote, a capable wife, as the NRSV translation renders the opening words. So that's all I'm going to say about that, and now we're going to just push forward. So Davis deems this passage, quote, the clearest biblical statement about the ordinary work of an ordinary person. So she's unpacking there that in the Old Testament, we often get a lot of history about kings or notable people, but we don't get this kind of full fleshed out version of like, what should I just do in my everyday life? Except for here, we have one great example. So this woman is a highly skilled manager of a small and prosperous family farm. If you were going to say, like, who is this woman? In Proverbs 31, uh, she seems to be something of a highly skilled manager of a small and prosperous family farm. She is also the embodiment of wisdom, of wise living, which ties this chapter back to woman wisdom at the beginning chapters of Proverbs. So if you just want a good taste of the book, this isn't just here in 31. Um, it's a theme that's running throughout Proverbs and gives this kind of envelope or um, inclusio structure to the whole of the book on wisdom. So first I want to read through Davis's translation of Proverbs 31, starting in verse 10, 
in order to get us out of our ingrained or traditional reading of this text. Um, but here she's being very faithful and word for word with the text as it is. Um, so I know it's very small, uh, but I wanted it all to just be up here so we could keep thinking about it. So this is Davis's translation. A valorous woman who can find, her price is higher than corals. Her husband's heart is secure with her. He does not lack booty in the pirate sense. Okay. Uh, she renders him good and not evil all the days of her life. Uh, she searches out wool and flax and works with eager hands. She is like a trader's fleet from afar she brings her food. She rises while it is still night and provides prey for her household and statutes to her young women. She plans a field and takes it. By the fruit of her palms, she plants a vineyard. She girds her loins with strength and makes firm her arms. She judges that her trading is good, and so her lamp is not extinguished at night. Her hands she reaches out with the spindle and her palms holding the spinning whorl. Her palms she spreads out to the poor, and her hands she reaches out to the needy. Then she jumps down to 31. And her family says, celebrate her for the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. So Davis explains that this text should be a source of moral vision and inspiration for us. Uh, for us all, really. And further explains by contrasting two experiences that she's had with this text. Uh, so Davis takes these two kind of reflections, some 20 years and 9,000 miles apart, uh, to help us to get into the reframing that happened for her. So first, New Haven, 1990. I asked my students at University Divinity School what they thought of this poem and my question was met with uncharacteristic silence. Finally, someone in the room had the courage to say, this is not the woman we have been taught to admire. It was a clarifying moment, for this is the most admiring biblical portrait of any ordinary person. Some of the language used to describe her is used elsewhere, elsewhere to describe God or the glorious city of Jerusalem. Her family calls for public praise of her work. Let her work praise her in the gates. Because through the way she runs a productive household, which in Israel meant people plus land plus animals, she made life work for others, both family and community. We do not see why such work is admirable. Uh, if we do not, then that is because of the drastic difference between the economic system of the biblical poet envisioned and our own. Our homes, even our communities, are for the most part purely loci of consumption and not production. From a biblical perspective at least, that shift away from productive households has skewed our value system. Reflection two. Malakal, South Sudan, 2011. Each year, I travel to what is now South Sudan to study Bible with church leaders, lay and ordained men and women. Last spring, when we read this passage, I asked them to tell me about whether they knew such valorous women in their own community. And of course, they all did. Their mothers, their sisters, themselves. 
Someone pointed to Mary, an army officer and farmer who through the terrible warriors fed the clergy and the poorest in the church from her sorghum field. If it had not been for her, he said, many of us would not have eaten. And feeding them required that she show her valor regularly when protecting the crop against the soldiers from the Sudanese People's Liberation Army, who would have commandeered it at gunpoint. But Mary was able to resist them only because she outranked them. So I don't know about you, um, but this second recollection made me think immediately of Okoye from Black Panther. So Griffin, this is my title slide for the sermon tonight. Um, actually, the more I've reflected on the whole chapter of Proverbs 31, the more women from this film that came to mind. So this is uh, now like a film uh, excerpt uh, about just unpacking that. So if you haven't seen Black Panther, then I'm so sorry, but you're well behind the times, and so I'm just going to go ahead and give away a bit of it. Um, so Shannon Lee, in an article in the Washington Post, summarizes their role in this film well. She says, the women of Wakanda are uh, depicted as savvy warriors who are conscious of their power and know how to use it. We get to witness the power of the Dormelage, an all-female uh, protection squad, and two of Wakanda's fiercest warriors, Nakia and Okoye, who pair up to execute the nation's most dangerous missions. Rarely do we see women on film who are as graceful as they are determined. Even while in love, they are assertive and capable of independent thought. So Black Panther offers a refreshing a reprieve from the misogynistic media with which we are regularly bombarded by showcasing empowered women that are inspiring because of their contributions to their country and the way they show up in their own lives. I pay um, specific attention here at the end. She says, women who know uh, that love does not keep you from your life purpose, romance does not come uh, before your values, and you are a better partner when you are in purposeful pursuit of your calling. So kind of set that aside. So uh, going back to Davis, I love that phrase that Davis uses by way of summary of, about Proverbs 31. She says of the woman, she makes life work for others, both family and community. This makes me think of so many people in this room or on the computer. Um, actually, at the beginning of tonight, I'm going to call out Earl, who's probably not cringing, but when I said, oh, I'm talking about Proverbs 31, he's like, I am a great Proverbs 31 woman. I was like, do you know, like, I genuinely think that you are. Um, but the people that I thought of uh, were um, Amy Case, Scott Hansel, and Maddie Milliken. So there are lots more. Uh, but these people we are honored to share life with because they give their lives to support all kinds of people in our community, including their friends and family. I feel like that's like the hard part. Like some people are really great about supporting people out there and they're like really not great to the people around them. But when we get that balance of both, like you can treat people well in your physical space and care about the people out there. So this kind of life work, uh, isn't the image of the put-together wife, 
uh, I used to think Proverbs 31 imagined. Instead, the sense of the text is someone who is consist consistently finding ways to benefit others, though not to the neglect of herself. So we could play around with the text a bit and say maybe uh, verse 17 is a bit of self-care when she dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong, but you know, it might be a bit of a stretch. But here, this picture isn't even the connotation that readily comes to mind when we think of a wise man, often envisioned as quiet, removed, and alone. No, this person is in the midst of others, in society and present at home, all for the sake of the community. Embodied wisdom roots itself in community so that when people are in need, they know where to go. Who to call? I don't know how many times you've seen Scott Hansel pick up the phone and probably like basically save somebody's life who was going to lose their house or whatever it is on um, what community partners. Who's how, they know whose house to show up at. I can not even begin to count the number of people who just show up in Keith's yard that is like a playground yard soul space of some kind, um, and who is knowledgeable about where to find aid, jobs, a mechanic you can trust, right? There's like everyday things uh, that are needed for life in community. Embodied wisdom looks like this, using our bodies, minds, and influence to provide for the poor and needy in our community, including our families, neighbors, and those we work with. Those are some um, mentioned throughout this text. Jumping back, one film writer says, Okoye's presence exudes her indispensability. She is T'Challa's chief general, who he listens to and takes direction from. Okoye is intuitive, intuitive, ready for action and alert. She is the driving force behind Wakanda. Oh, that we would be a community described in this way, empowered by the work of the Spirit to bring about kingdom living for all. Now, I purposely started kind of drawing you into this idea of Earl as the Proverbs 31 woman, or Scott, or whoever you might imagine, um, to, to make the point that these verses are not exclusively instructed for women. We certainly wouldn't say that about woman wisdom in the first nine chapters of this book. But I want to explain more, maybe this is my own self-defense, um, but I want to talk to you textually about why I think so. So let me read to you now from the ESV translation of the beginning of this chapter. So this is Proverbs 31, uh, verses 1 to 9. The words of King Lemuel, an oracle that his mother taught him. What are you doing, my son? What are you doing, son of my womb? What are you doing, son of my vows? Do not give your strength to women, your ways to those who destroy kings. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to take strong drink, lest they drink and forget what, they, what has been decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. Give strong drink to those, uh, the one who is perishing and wine to those in bitter distress. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute, Open your mouth and judge righteously. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. All right. So at the start of this passage, we learn that King Lemuel's mother is offering him some advice, a picture uh, passing on of wisdom. 
here. Uh, Griffin, if you could give us the next one. This is what came to my mind. Uh, so T'Challa, uh, his mother, Queen Ramonda in Black Panther, even in this slide, I went back and watched it last night, she's actually doing that. She's saying, you're called to this role, like you need to step into it. Um, this is much what's happening here at the beginning of this passage, that we have the, the mother of a king saying like, here's what you are supposed to be doing. She is warning her son against foolish living so that he can fulfill his role as king by upholding justice. She begins with the words familiar to most parents. What are you doing? Uh, which of course then has to be repeated multiple times. What are you doing? In order to grab their attention. Then her first piece of advice is not to give his strength to a woman or your ways to those who destroy kings. So we've already recognized at the beginning of this, there are lots of like triggering aspects of this text. Um, but here, uh, it is likely that she's drawing on the story of the wisest king, Solomon, who was led to worship other gods by the influence of foreign wives. So not a straightforward text for application uh, in our context, but I think very much that is what hangs behind this verse. Next, she admonishes him to avoid drunkenness, though not on the basis of piety, uh, but in order to not pervert justice. So kings should avoid indulging in wine and strong drink, since they might forget the laws, or what they have ruled, or forgot to defend uh, the vulnerable. So here we have reasons behind that aren't just about doing right or pious living, uh, but justice. So we could paraphrase in this way. You might have to forgive me for this one. So his mama told him, what are you doing with your life? Don't be stupid. This isn't for you. Think about what could happen. I don't care if other people are doing that. They're in a totally different situation. For this is the high calling you've been given. All right. So this high calling is coming to us in verses 8 to 9 and helps us to connect these instructions to the man king with those to the woman that follows, especially in verse 20. So here again we have, open your mouth to the mute for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. And then in verse 20, her palm she spreads out to the poor and her hands she reaches out to the needy. So both are concerned for the poor and needy destitute, oppressed, we have lots of different ways we could translate these words. Both sections then offer instructions for wise living that is not necessarily contingent upon the sex of the person being described. In other words, this chapter fleshes out for us what wise living looks like, but the description of the valorous woman is an image of an ordinary person, and so therefore might be more applicable to us than the specific words to a ruler or royals in governance. So now I want us to reread our main section for tonight in order to observe all the ways it entreats us toward embodied wisdom. I would paraphrase it in this way. A person who embodies wisdom in this way is rare. Those closest to her trust her and don't feel deprived or lacking. She always does them good and not harm. She is industrious, able to take the things God has given in creation and put them to good use. She is informed and resourceful about the goods of the world. 
She works full days, providing both physical and moral nourishment. She plans and organizes as well as gets her own hands dirty with the work. She is strong because of working hard. She puts things in place to keep working while she rests. She has real life skills that meet the practical needs of people. She not only gives to the poor, but is physically present to comfort them. Look at all she has done for us and for others. This is why the community praises her, because she has been a blessing to us all. So everyone comes into contact uh, with this person is blessed by her rooted and connected life. I hesitate to say uh, productive because of its deadly connotations with mass production, workaholism, and unjust labor. So let me clarify and say by productive, I mean it makes stuff that is useful for everyday living, not simply for economic uh, gain or profit. Embodied wisdom makes clothes an income. It grows food and is knowledgeable about gathering food. It cares for family members, is present, speaks with kindness and wisdom, works hard both inside and outside the home. It earns trust and benefits others. It has real life practical skills that provide for needs among others. So indeed, this is not merely the description of a capable wife or a disembodied masked woman. Rather, it describes a way of life for us, all to embody wisdom. All right, this is maybe a bit tangential, but I want to close with one verse from Psalm 144, which offers a similar expression of what it wants from Israel's sons and daughters. So our last verse, oh sorry, that was before, but it's okay. Nakia is trusted and is held secure in her husband. But here we go, Psalm 144, 12. May our sons in their youth be like plants full grown, our daughters like corner pillars cut for the building of a palace. Right, uh, I found it fitting because we have plants. Um, and this is one of those kind of countercultural understandings of like, if you were gonna say, what should women be like? We probably would be like, like columns. Um, but here. May we at Providencia raise up a generation that would be described as flourishing plants and strong supports for our community as Israel did. Amen. All right, so let us pray.